Welcome back to another episode of Around Comics, episode 366. I am Brian Salazar. With me, as always, is my partner in crime, Christopher Niesman. And with us is a special guest, all-star comic book creator, artist. You may know him from such books as Transmetropolitan, The Boys, Space Space Beaver. You know, what everybody knows. (laughs) Everybody knows Space Beaver. Uh, Derek Robertson. Derek, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Welcome. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me back. It's nice to see you again. Yeah, you you were actually just here a month and a half ago on our uh, 30 Minutes With uh, interview show to uh, talk about Space Bastards, which I got a a delivery in the mail a couple days ago. Very excited. So I've got to read volume two now, but yeah. So uh, we had uh, we had you and your uh, co-creators from Space Bastards, uh, Eric and Joe, with you. But uh, you you got the you got the spotlight by yourself tonight. Right on. Well, I always like was, hanging out with Eric and Joe. They're good guys. Absolutely. And that was a, that was a fun time. But uh, yeah, I really, yeah it, they cracked me up. It's you know, but but me talking with you guys, it's like I, I coming into it, I was like, okay, you know, Eric and Joe haven't done a ton of comics. And Derek has been doing comics for 20-ish years now. And I just 30. don't is it 30 now? Wow, we're all getting old. Yeah, uh yeah, it. I didn't I didn't want to just like talk about the boys all night long, you know. Thank you. With with yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like it at all, but you know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so 30 years. I you know, I was thinking about this today. Um it, it kind of feels like you're a creator that's kind of just been there for a long time and always uh always does quality work oh thanks i don't always but, see that but i appreciate you saying that yeah but i mean you and you've done you know hundreds of issues of comics but it, you know it, it doesn't seem like you're always on the stands which is no. kind of nice from my perspective because whenever something of yours comes out i know i'm going to enjoy it and you've done long runs of com- on comics but are you conscious of that is that just kind of your 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 work style do you just kind of put stuff make sure that you put stuff out at a quality that's going to be kind of yeah I would, in the last few years quality has become super important to me i mean i've always tried to do good work um but for a lot of my early career especially back in the 90s when it was quantity over quality like good enough had to be you were there i was just constantly being asked to produce work and i you know unless the editor sent it back and said this is no good i just kept putting out work as fast as i could um and that was sort of like the competition was doing the same at the time so it wasn't like um i i didn't see that there was a big standard to live up to i just would do the best i could also i was working in this kind of extreme style that was popular at the time sort of trying to be somebody i wasn't and it wasn't until i got around to transmetropolitan that i started to kind of do work that i wanted to do 
uh, based on what like kind of my ethics were, or my interests were, but then I mm-hmm. still had to do that at a great, at a, at a super fast pace because yeah. we were always up against the gun uh, on the deadlines. So I wasn't inking my own work then. Uh, it wasn't until I got to the boys after uh, a, a brief run on Wolverine uh, mm-hmm. that I got to like ink my own stuff consistently. And it was a little bit of a learning curve. Some of my early inks are kind of heavy, but I, I think I'm getting better at it now. And um, I kind of retreated from that mainstream having a monthly title. And I mm-hmm. realized that was kind of burning me out. I learned that on the boys. Um, so when I kind of stepped back from that, I put more of an interest in creating original stuff. Uh, I wanted to put more original creator own work out there. And then at the same time, uh, really trying to have control of my schedule and my, and my inking and everything. So I could craft a book. Um, which is what I like to do now because my favorite artists were like that. And, uh, you know, they weren't known for putting stuff out constantly, but when they did, it was an event. So if you got a Dave Gibbons book or a Brian Mullen book or something like that, or Barry Windsor Smith, these people were like, you know, they were crafting their own work and finishing it. In Brian Mullen's case, he went on to color his own stuff, you know? So I really, I realized if I want to be like my heroes, I got to do what my heroes do. And so I tried to, yeah. I've tried to walk along that line. One of my I, I mean, that's, I think for, for all of us, you know, we're, we're, you know, roughly the same age. I think that was a book that, that impact. And we're talking about Camelot 3000 is what I showed for the audio listeners. Yeah. And that was a book that was, I think. I think he was inked by Terry Austin in that, wasn't he? <clears throat> I think so. Um, I think he did his own inking in that, but I, I own some of the original art. I love yeah. Oh, do you? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I bought it way back. I was uh, before he went digital. I started buying a like whatever Brian Ballin work I could get my hands on. Yeah, Bruce Patterson, Terry Austin, and a little Dick Giordano inking wow. in there Beautiful. for an issue. They but, all, his his stuff is so tight though. You could tell that he they had they knew exactly what to do with it. Oh yeah, yeah. But that I think that's a book that changed the way that a lot of us looked. At comics it was like the first time they put it out as a maxi series it wasn't built mm-hmm. to be an ongoing thing it was built to be a uh, limited story and so yeah. you really like the the stakes really were higher with that too which i thought was great because live or die it, it was 12 issues so you know you didn't know which characters mm-hmm. were going to make it to the end and some of them don't make it and it was it's just a great just great fun if i had my wish i would do camelot 4000 <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome out. was it it was the first maxi series right yes i believe it was yeah. they were just starting to experiment with that kind of stuff uh for your uh viewers if you see me wiping my eyes it's because i'm not wearing my glasses and i'm getting eye strain i'm not getting emotional over camelot 3000 <laughs> we, we, we have that effect on people eyes. brian boland makes a lot of people teary i think well that's <laughs> true for sure not what were some of your your other early influences uh, uh I, I, well, my first memory of comics were like kind of random. Uh, like I remember a lot of gold key comics, Bugs Bunny and, you know, Richie Rich, whatever my sister was, I had an old, I have an older sister and whatever she was reading and I would sort of get handed down. So I find myself with a lot of those like classic Marvel romance comics and <laughs> a lot of romance and uh, Richie Rich, which I really loved. I loved Richie mm-hmm. Rich. I was, those were so inventive. Um, but I actually really got a lot out of those romance comics that I didn't realize until I was much older and illustrated. I'm like, that was a great, cause they had really good Marvel talented Marvel guys working on those yeah. romance comics alongside the superhero stuff. And the storytelling is like, that's Perfect. where I learned a lot about how to make quiet moments dramatic because, 
And uh, also, drawing people kissing is hard. <laughs> it's a difficult yeah, thing it, to draw. It's so funny that you brought that up because as soon as you said it, I, I it clicked in my head of like, oh, I can absolutely see that in your work. Like the romance comics and the the idea that there's not always g- going to be these gigantic action moments. Right, and, and, and they shouldn't be. That's also what another thing just brings us back around Camelot 3000. What was so great about that is like how powerful the quiet moments are. And that's something that I've always tried to like bring into my own stuff. And uh, one of my, one of the first uh, superhero people that I really discovered, hey, just like you predicted. Hi, Tom. <laughs> Tom, Tom is on, on time. And he just, yeah, he's, he's on Tom time. I'm on my time. <laughs> Hi, Tom. Hi, how's it going? Well, I, I, I really like, I, one of the first uh, artists that, that stood out to me was Neil Adams. And it's because I had these, um, those Peter Pan read-along books. I mean, this one, I was really young. So, uh, but they had, uh, do you remember those Peter Pan records? And you put the record on, then read the comic along. I with do. It? Oh, yeah, sure. they, they would act it all out audibly. It was really cool. I had a man bat one, like where's, when they introduced the man bat. And uh, the art in that is just phenomenal. And the way he did the lighting and the drama. And, you know, it was like a horror comic and a superhero comic Mm -hmm. in one. So that Mm -hmm. was like one of the first times I really started paying attention. That is, uh, I had a Superman record, which had a Neil Adams cover of him flying up. And I think they did a photo stat of a city behind him. But Superman always, like, Neil Adams sort of defined those characters for me. Mm -hmm. So what Superman looks like, Batman looks like in my head, and Aquaman. Like those characters, it's either Jose Garcia Lopez, uh, who's Atari Force I loved around the same time. I loved mm. um, Camelot 3000. And then it was Neil Adams. So like he was one of the first uh, artists that I really started paying attention to his name and style, especially that uh, Superman versus Muhammad Ali. Like that, there's so much of that that influenced mm. Transmetropolitan in ways that I could <laughs> never explain. But he made those environments so believable. Yeah. And the amount of detail he put in, even on the cover where you could see all these celebrities in the audience and they had a little map on the inside of Sonny Bono and Alfred. <laughs> and I, I miss I miss the treasury edition size. I just yeah. love that that format, that size. It's uh um that's what I love about a, a lot of the the new Adams uh reprints that I yeah. have. You know, it's they they did those at the at the big treasury size. And yeah, uh, I used to love those. And they were like a oh. dollar, and that seemed like a lot of oh. time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Was <laughs> was that more pleasure or pain doing all that for Transmet? I mean, because you look at it that. Was, it was, uh, I loved it. I just wish that I, I, I'd always wished Rodney Ramos, we would not, that book wouldn't exist without Rodney Ramos's incredible uh, ability. Him and Nathan Irene and, and Clown Robbins, like we, we were such a solid get it in on time, get it out there team, which is unusual for that long of a run that I, I, I never say this without prefacing it with how much I appreciate his excellent work. Um, but I always wanted to ink it myself because um, I would end up having time in between scripts waiting for stuff to come in that I could be doing the inking. And, mm-hmm. and I felt like I could have been solely focused on the book, but in, as a result, I would end up taking on other work while I was waiting for scripts. So I could keep, you know, an income flowing uh, in between waiting for script and uh, that, so I would put as much as I could into it, but I also had to turn it around faster so I could give, you know, Rodney and, mm-hmm. and, and Nathan the time to do their job and Clem, of course. Like, so it was like sort of a catch 22. I couldn't, I loved doing it, but I wish I, there was so much more I wanted to do with it. Like that, it, it, you could see it on the covers. I inked my own covers on Transmetropolitan, but it's like, I, I wish so much that I could have uh, done 
more with it because I was young and didn't have kids yet and uh, had a lot of energy. And (laughs) (laughs) I'm not so young and I have kids. And the best experience I've had in that, uh, in that, in that, um, on that notion, it was Hellblazer Rise and Fall that I just did with, with Tom Taylor. And that was just him and me, just the two of us. Yeah. And I, that was, that so was good. A, that was a real joy. It ended up being a pretty lengthy book, uh, even though there's only three issues, they were all 44 pages each. And, and Tom was a joy to work with and uh, the whole team got along great. And then the, when the new editors came on after uh, the layoffs happened and we lost our original editor, Andy Curry, the new editors were very supportive, even though we, I was, I had, I had had kind of a rough, uh, um, couple of months towards the end of the book there and but they were like no you know they we, they we figured out a date that would work for everybody and they gave me a little bit of time to wrap it up and not they didn't bring people in which sometimes people do and so I ended up getting to do a whole thing I really got to craft that book and I'm proud of it so it's it's uh we talked about it several times on the show yeah. and I mean it was the you always been good but that was a level up and it was you. It was That's really, really good. How do you like that format? Um, are actually, are your, are your page, are the pages different size? Yeah, they're, actually they are. They're almost one, one to what gets printed. So um, I end up doing them in a different dimension. So when it's printed, that's actually the size I worked at. I was surprised to see how close that is to the actual size of the art. And that's what I liked about those treasury editions is they were uh, published at 11 by 17, which was the size of the art. You know. I love that format for that for that book. I, I I really want more of that. I think it gives you a little room to breathe. And I thought it was some of your best work ever. Honestly, I I thought it was a great book. And Tom wrote a great story. And uh, yeah, I just we like Chris said we talked about it multiple times on the show just because every issue that came out we we were you know raving about and it just looks so amazing. And, Thank you. And, well, I mean that's a great team. I'm working with Diego Rodriguez on the colors there. And uh, he's my favorite uh, go-to colorist. And we had, uh, like I said, a lot of support from editorial. They really let us, for the most part, they let us alone, just reminded us on deadlines. And then when I needed a little bit of time, they were like, oh, yeah, we can make that work. And that that meant a lot to me. It, it's, it's, a, it's a big difference than getting rushed or having them pull it away and give it to somebody else last minute. Because that's like when you're watching a, you know, you're watching Walking Dead and you go to a commercial and it comes back and somebody else is playing Rick. You know, <laughs> like, wait a second. That's 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 not the that's not the same guy. It's the old so bewitched what, strip. You know, bewitched. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't like getting darned. I don't like getting darned. So I, but yeah, it was a that was a really good book for that example I, that I got to do the, that uh, what I wanted to do with it, and uh, I was proud of how I made it. Uh, I'm proud of how it came out, and uh, Tom was a joy to work with. We're we're looking for another project together as soon as possible. He's just a busy guy, but man, his dialogue is so good. <laughs> it is. It's the first time I actually got to really draw Constantine at length too. And it, it seemed like a real natural fit. It, it worked well. And there's some risque scenes and, and as uh, Sal and I, I think the discuss, so it's a very British ending the way that he <laughs> yeah, uh, gets out of it. Yeah. I loved it. It was a, uh, it was a lot of fun. Like, I, like, he's just such a great character and he emotes, <laughs> And he's just such a troublemaker that it's like he's a lot of fun to draw. I had a question. Uh, funny enough, I actually have met you before at Cherry Capital Con of, I don't know how many years ago. God, um, I remember that convention. <laughs> 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 what, what, like, city, what city Traverse, was that? It's Traverse City, Michigan. 
Oh yeah, wait, I remember doing the wait, wasn't that the only time I remember doing a con in Michigan was the Detroit Motor City Con. Uh this I think it was it was just called the the uh, uh Cherry I don't remember. I only remember doing a the only time I remember being in Michigan was for the Motor City Comic Con. Well maybe my memory's wrong. How far how how long ago was this? Uh probably seven years ago something like that yeah um, the only one i would have done even in the last 10 years would have been motor city if it was within yeah. the last 10 years it must have been somewhere else well was, i thought you is there. it steve <laughs> are you getting him con- confused with steve yeah, dylan maybe it wasn't me. Well, no steve dylan was there. <laughs> steve dylan was there and i actually did an interview with steve and um i can't remember the the writer a guy who wrote deadpool for a while um who's linked to that convention. But anyway, but, but I, I did an interview with both of them. And one of the questions I asked them is because over their careers, they both worked on characters that I would describe as bastards. And I think you fit right in with that. Yeah. And, and, and my question to them was, is it more fun to work with bastards than it is the good guys? Sometimes? I, I, I enjoy them both equally. I mean, for me, it's, it's not really, I don't, I, I just like whatever whatever character I'm on, I try to do the best with that character that I can do. Uh, I've never, like, there's, a, there's a, some, like, more uh, mechanical-based characters get boring to draw because they don't emote, and you have to keep track of all the detail. But, um, like, Cable was like that. Um, but I really like drawing Wolverine because he had so much room to emote. Um, and... Constantine for the same reason, but you know, I'm, I'm currently working on Batman and I've really been enjoying drawing Batman just as much as I enjoy drawing Constantine. So, yeah, yeah, you, you worked on Wolverine. Was it, was it kind of right before the, the Hugh Jackman pivot in around the same, the car- same time? It was like we were, we had just X2 had just come out when I was about three or four issues into my Wolverine run. Mm-hmm. Cause that was, uh, that was you and Greg Rucka. It was a great yeah, run, which I had a great time working with Greg. Nice. That was, uh, but then that was when the, they wanted him to be on model. So we, uh, like, my vision of him was, you know, quickly uh, about eight inches taller. Yeah, yeah they just they wanted <laughs> a to, they had to, a, a splash page that I had drawn for uh, issue six, where they're at the bar, Nightcrawler and Logan are at the bar, and uh, I drew it with them out in the pouring rain and. I, I take the Marvel handbooks very seriously. I did since I was a, you know, a young kid loving Marvel. So I, you know, if, if Scott Summers is six foot one and uh, I pretty sure I think Kurt is like around five eleven, <laughs> And I know that Logan is five, three from the handbook. You guys can correct me if you got the handbook. That's what Andy I'm going to look it up right now. But I drew <laughs> Logan and you know, Kurt, Five eleven, five three, and they made me make them even, and that just made me crazy. <laughs> like that's not five. Either Kurt's five foot three or Logan is, but if they're the same height, they're you know, they, they, and, and they still put that in the Marvel handbook. Like it's not like they changed it. If they changed it, said okay, well, we're six three now according to the Marvel handbook. <laughs> that was the rules, but it's kind of like being in the middle of a chess game, and all of a sudden someone's doing checker moves. Like, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's right, I'm looking it up, guys. I'm almost there. I almost have a definitive answer. <laughs> well, uh, you you mentioned you mentioned the the latest character that uh, you've been able to to work on, and it's a little bit of a change for you. First of all, it's it's Batman. You are um, both writing and drawing uh, Legends of the Dark Knight. 
So uh, first of all, how big of a thrill is it to work on Batman? And is this your first, is this your first mainstream write, write and draw gig? No, I'm not known for it. Um, Mm -hmm. I've done actually a a lot of, uh, I wouldn't say a lot of it. I've never really done like a monthly run on, on anything Mm -hmm. like that, but mainstream I've, I wrote and drew uh, an issue, a special issue of Conan the Barbarian for Dark Horse called the way to the crown. Mm-hmm. Uh, about 2009, I wrote and drew um, a number of uh, Spider-Man stories that got published in some of the super specials and then an entire issue of uh, Spider-Man Team-Up back in the 90s with uh, Gambit. I do. Oh. So, so I wrote and drew that um, and uh, wrote and drew Space Beaver originally. Not that yeah, sure, sure. Not that that's mainstream, but I started out as my mm-hmm. own writer artist. So it just for me, I have a hard time justifying writing my own stuff unless I have a real burning idea that I want to do, which this Batman story was um, because I wrote it when I was a teenager dreaming of breaking into uh, DC, I had the original plot in mind. And so to actually get to bring it to fruition and having it be published as a number one is like a big deal for me. Oh, it's (laughs) like a childhood dream come true. Um, But the, uh, but the, other stuff that I did, I, I mean, I like it, but I can't justify it when if, if you say to me like, hey, Tom Taylor wants to do another book with you. I'm yeah. not going to stop and, and go, no, I don't want to work with Tom again or Greg Rucka again or any of the number of really. I, I, can just, I can imagine you saying, you know, like Grant Morrison. It's like, you know what, Grant? I got this. I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. Yeah, well, you know, when when you got talented people like that and they want to work together, you, you make time for that. It's like it's writing my own stories. You know, it's not like I've, I've enjoyed it, It's a, but it's a lot of responsibility. And it also, it's, you know, I'm, I'm having worked with such great writers. It's like I don't I'm, I'm afraid of my own writing falling short. But then I have to remind myself if it wasn't any good, DC wouldn't just be putting it out there to do me a favor <laughs> they would go sorry Derek your story sucks <laughs> so um but I I take the writing as seriously as I do the drawing and I I put as much work into crafting that and mm-hmm. I write a full script and and then I hate myself when I'm drawing <laughs> later you know because some of the things that I put myself through I'm like what was I thinking I could have made him in a desert I could have put this in a snowstorm you know I'll, I'll so never- you, you, you full write the script and then before you start penciling anything mm-hmm. you I mean, I got with the Batman, I got a little looser because I knew I was going to be, you know, filling in the gaps. But I mean, I I write it all out. I don't just sit down and draw the pages or make it up as I go like I did with Space Beaver originally. Work Marvel style with yourself. <laughs> are, are we going to see Space Beater uh, in Space Bastards? Possibly, I feel no, like I mean, maybe as a cameo, maybe in a. Bathroom, <laughs> I actually, if you look through the years, I've actually put Space Beaver in a number of things, starting all the way back to my very first DC comic ever, which was the Flash TV Super Special that had a photo of John Wesley Shipp in costume on the cover. And um, I was the very first work I got. I was uh, picking up somebody else's. My my friend David. Uh, wasn't able to finish the story on time. So I came in and finished up this kid flash story that Mark Wade had written. So the first guy I ever worked with at DC was Mark Wade. Not bad. You do have a, a, a way of getting all of the, the primo writers, man, like right off the bat. <laughs> they get me. Ah, those, yes. yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go, go ahead. Yeah. The... <laughs> no, they, um, but it was fun because, uh, but they had a, it was at a carnival. So I made Space Beaver like the, the guy in the costume. Like, so all these kids are 
hanging around the, the guy in the space beaver costume. And like in the boys, there was a place that there's ever usually a need for a stuffed animal or the, uh, the authority. I did this, like I usually throw a space beaver in there as the, as the stuffed animal. So he, he makes cameos throughout a lot of my stuff. That's awesome. <laughs> Wolverine is five foot three, 195 pounds. That's thick. And a great sentence here. Apparently at the same time that a mantium was bonded to a skeleton, he was also equipped with claws. And apparently it's kid doing a lot of work there. By whoever wrote that entry. <laughs> but how tall is Kurt? How, how tall is Nightcrawler? Oh, oh God. No, okay. Okay. Um, let me look it up. <laughs> oh, Tom, it's the research department tonight. I'm on it. I'm on it. I'm on it. <laughs> You, you know, we've always you, you you listed five eleven. That was, so that was we're, we're locking that in. Let's see. <laughs> not to give belabor, me a minute. Not to belabor Space Beaver, but I am. That's it's always cool. interesting to me. You know, uh, someone's first work or very early, early work, and sort of. I was seventeen. I created. I created in high school when I was sixteen. I was but, seventeen by the time it got published. That's why I've had such a long career. Is because my first work came out when I was like. Just getting a just getting my driver's license. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> that's pretty amazing, though. I mean, I, I, was that at a time? I mean, that was right around the time of like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and I'm assuming. Yeah, well, that was. I, I didn't know much about it at the time. I had just discovered that comic book stores existed maybe a year or two before, and I was going to a local comic book shop, and apparently the owner of the shop. Um, I didn't. I wasn't aware of this trend, but uh, black and white comics had blown up huge in the mid '80s because of Ninja Turtles. Every retailer was like looking to have the next Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number one. So everybody and his brother who could put out a black and white funny animal comic was doing so. Radioactive black belt hamsters and, and fish police came out. <laughs> black belt radioactive hamsters. All these different titles that looked and sounded like something like Ninja Turtles in the hopes that they would be the next one in line. And all it did is it glutted the market and imploded just about the time we got Space Beaver onto the market. <laughs> I was like, typical of my career. I show up at the party just before things end. So right before the lights come on. Wait, so something got really popular in comics. Yeah. And then all of a sudden there were a ton of comics that were yeah. trying to emulate it. Isn't that crazy? happened. That yeah. happened like every decade. <laughs> <laughs> happened in the nineties with the, you know, when the, with the image boom. So were you, I, I mean, you had said you had read comics stuff, but were you interested in, in drawing comics and making comics before that? Were you doing stuff before that? Or was that just sort of an opportunity that, that lent itself to you, your you interest? Space beer? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I had my dreams. My hopes and dreams were all pinned on being a professional comic book artist. If you saw, I, I have actually a really great story about meeting Matt Groening uh, when he was uh, just doing the Life in Hell books at, at my very first San Diego oh, wow. Comic-Con. And this was uh, back when it was at the old convention center downtown before they moved out by the bay. Um, and I was, I'd never been to a comic, San Diego Comic-Con before, but because I went with this publisher I was working with, I came in with this orange tag, which was like the pro tag at the time. So I was walking around the floor just trying to get any editor I could to look at my portfolio, which had pictures of Rogue and Spider-Man and sample pages of X-Men and stuff like that in it. And, um, I had no belief that Space Beaver, I was being published with Space Beaver at the time, but I had no belief that that was, I, I never would have imagined that's where my career started. It was just more of a lark. It was literally something I did to entertain myself in summer school, but people liked it and there was this trend happening. So I ended up getting published. 
Um, and it kind of started my career. But I ended up walking up to Matt Graney because I was a big fan of those Life and Hell books. Um, and this was pre, way before Simpsons. Yeah. And uh, But I went up and I was like, oh, I love your work. And we started talking. He was the nicest person. And, uh, and he said, oh, you got an orange tag. You're a professional. And I have my portfolio there. And I said, yeah, he goes, let me see what you do. And I said, okay. So I was so excited. And then I showed him my portfolio. <laughs> and again, he was looking at like page after page of superhero pinups and, you know, sequential story of X-Men fighting and all the stuff that I thought. Yeah. And he just goes, well, see, we have nothing in common. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, but I, then he, he got called away for a uh, a uh, to do a panel. So I, that was my meeting Matt Groening. But years later, after the Simpsons got going, <coughs> and I had now was working at Marvel, and you know a few years you know a few years have gone by, I ran into him again at at a booth at San Diego uh, during like the first I think second season of Simpsons was on, and he totally remembered me. He remembered Space Beaver, and it was very nice. Like we he signed my animation cell that I had bought because I could afford one. <laughs> so I have that on my wall. It's a sign Matt Graining drew a little Bart for me. Oh, that's awesome. Very it's cool. Always nice. It's always nice when you meet someone like that. that you know, that yeah, and then they stayed nice. Like he was just nice every time I'd see him. He was like, you know. My friend after that, my friend Dana Gould ended up being a <coughs> producer on the show and uh I did him a favor and then I got this box of like great Simpsons swag, like a duh a Duff T-shirt and hats, bendable <laughs> figures, and at the bottom was a, is a signed script from the comic book episode of The Simpsons. But, but Matt again did me a part and signed it, so I have a Dan, Dana Gold, the the comedian. Yeah, your friend. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, we went. We we go way back before he was super famous. Oh, that's awesome! I'm a huge comic stand-up comedian fan, so oh, I, yeah, yeah, I, I know a lot of people that when they were from the in the infancy of their their careers. So as, as I was mine, because I lived in San Francisco at the went back in the early 90s. And my uh, now brother-in-law is Matt Weinhold. He's a stand-up comic. So I used to, I'd be, we shared an apartment and I'd be like drawing comics until like 11, 12 at night. He'd get done with his, you know, stand-up gigs. And we'd all go down to this bar in San Francisco. And uh, all the comedians that he knew, they'd all kind of gather at this place after they got done with their uh, stand-up gigs and we'd hang out and drink and get to know each other and hang out and go to house parties and stuff. So I met a lot of people back in the day. That's cool. Um, uh, so oh, Tom I, has a question. Oh, they were always no, interested I, in me because I didn't do stand-up comedy. So I, I, was, I was the one guy in the group that didn't, I wasn't a comedian trying to find a gig. I was just, I was doing comics and doing pretty good at it. Cause I was working, I was working on new warriors at the time. I had a monthly book. I'm sure there's a lot of confusion there. You know, people would say, what do you do? You say, oh, I'm in comics. Yeah, right. With all I the comics. comics. You, do, you do comics. Yeah. <laughs> I've confirmed Nightcrawler's height. You oh, find it? I found it. I'm, it's five foot nine. Oh, it's off by two inches. By two inches. Uh, and contrary to appearances, he does not literally turn invisible in deep shadow. He just, he, he's camouflaged. <laughs> yeah, he's camouflaged. There's like... There's like a little note next to it, like some like some editor has written that like a thousand times to people, and now they're just. <laughs> <laughs> but he, but still, five foot three and five foot nine. Yeah, that's, that's like a, yeah, that's a good distance. distance at least. You know what I never understood is they called they called Cyclops slim, but he's jacked. He's like well, he, he got progressively jacked. That's mm-hmm. the thing. I was thinking about the way Kirby used to draw him. Kirby, yeah. he drew him kind of like tall and skinny. Yeah. But 
I always thought that was kind of funny because it's like, yeah, he's not, he's not, he's not slim. He's well, by the time got jacked, like when Jim Lee started drawing. Yeah, yeah, he's ripped. Ripped. <laughs> yeah, he started out with that Barry Allen physique to yep. start with. But yeah, I think Tom, uh, we talked to Infantino a few years ago, and he talked about how yeah, Barry should be thin because he's yeah, because he runs all the time. Yeah, he runs. Yeah, he's yeah. a runner. He's a runner. Shouldn't be jacked. Well, I always liked when uh, I, when John Byrne kind of redid um, Submariner. He did that Submariner run, and he kind of recreated that character uh, design a little bit. He was like made him look like a swimmer. He didn't look necessarily like a uh, mm-hmm. football player anymore. He, he yeah, kind of. Well, was, that's the thing. It was like in the '90s. It felt like there was a lot of pressure to make everybody ever more muscular. Like extreme. I look back on that stuff and it's like, I wish that like I drew, you know, speedball and I made it. I was, everybody had giant thighs and legs that were too long in that part of my career. But I was again, you know, just happy to be getting the work. <laughs> That's the kind of thing that I look back on now. And go, oh. You know, well, speaking of like character uh, redesigns and that kind of stuff, are there, are there any character redesigns that you were a part of that, you know, you look back on and say that was really cool or the inverse that was, horrible <laughs> I, I really i still like the firestar design that i did mm-hmm. that george perez mm-hmm. ended up drawing uh from my design and that was cool to see and george drawing you know firestar and with the costume that i made up for because um, i always thought that they made her for animation originally so that mm-hmm. originally, it was john ramita to actually design the original firestar really but um but I, the carnival mask seemed weird to me like i didn't quite understand that and then the all yellow outfit was just a way of avoiding anything complicated because it was you know animation and so it seems strange to me that that one endured as much as it has but i guess there's a nostalgic attachment to it because it was on saturday morning Mm -hmm. so in the 90s everybody was getting assigned you know after you know the x-men got leather jackets thanks to jim's awesome redesigns like then everybody started getting leather jackets so i you know (laughs) I got in on it and I gave Firestar a leather jacket, but I put her a big star on her back and I gave her goggles instead of the, um, the fan mask. Yeah. The, mm. with, with the carnival mask, they look like something yeah. from Mardi Gras. And, um, so I, I, I liked that. I was proud of that design. It ended up on the poster. I did a new warriors poster at one point. A lot of those characters I got to redesign and kind of make them my own. And then Fabian and I collaborated on the, uh, Fabian, the CAs of the writer, uh, we collaborated on the, uh, the, the new looks for them and I, I I liked it I was proud of those but there's a lot that um I, I don't I can't think off the top of my head who else I did do designs for but I mean the boys but those were original um yeah well, speaking I, of that I, I, it's interesting I mean I always appreciated the fact that like butcher looked more like a longshoreman or something yeah that's what I was going for ex-soldier yeah. You know, and then uh, Garth, I always pick the writer's brains for what actors they're imagining. And so he said uh, Robert Shaw. So I was, oh, like, nice. I was inspired <laughs> by Robert Shaw. So. That fits. Absolutely. For me, I discovered Simon Pegg. Watching <laughs> <laughs> I was, um, wh- what was your reaction whenever they cast Simon Pegg to play? Huey's dad. Oh, I was the, pushing for it. I was so happy. It was awesome. I went through a long, I had this long spiel fighting back against Simon himself because he and I got to be friends, but like pushing back even on Simon himself and saying, no, you know, it, the character is not age specific. 
you know, all you have to do is his heart has to be broken. And he's like, I'm too old. You know, and he just said, I'm getting to be too old for it. And so when it came around, I was going to hopefully have Eric Kripke twist his arm, uh, you know, and talk him into doing it. And so I kept reaching out to Eric Kripke leading up to season one. And um, so I said, have you reached out to Simon Pegg? And then I got the email back. He was, he's in my office right now. I was like, yes. <laughs> so I had to keep it total mums the word. It was, you know, they, they, Kind of revealed it at a convention months later, but up until then, I was just like, oh, I wish I could say because all these people were writing on Twitter, Is Simon Dad gonna play you? And I'm like, oh. <laughs> No, but he's gonna play Huey's dad. And that was like the best yeah. cameo was, ever. It was brilliant because whenever I first started watching the series, I was like, Man, I really wish Simon Pegg uh, that they've been <laughs> able to get him. And then they introduced as the dad, and I was like, Oh, yeah, he's yeah. too old to play Huey. Now. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> back in the day, he was. The, we uh, the movie got optioned in 2008. The property got optioned in 2008, and it took 11 years for it to actually become the TV show. So, um, but it went on this wild roller coaster ride. But originally, like Adam McKay was going to do a trilogy with the boys, and he had done all kinds of preliminary work on it. And just for whatever reason, we couldn't get a studio to greenlight it. But um, even though they they kept optioning it, but um, yeah, the, but Simon was for you know always on the short list to play huey it just didn't yeah. work out it was uh funny about the the gap in time from whenever it was published to the time that it um uh, made it to, to amazon as a tv show i was online reading comments which you should never do and some guy is is just going off about the the the, the scene with the uh the deep uh getting the the blowjob yeah. and he's just like oh why do they have to bring all this me too stuff into <laughs> you know into these series when, when, and I was just like dude the exact same scene happened in the comic like yeah, well, eight years of. ago like six years before <laughs> yeah. me too so it was it was yeah, yeah it was very that was funny. three and that was back in 2007 yeah so it, yeah years, no, the thing that happened I saw an article pop up it was kind of get regurgitating on uh I have family members that'll send me an article as if I don't know what's going on. <laughs> but, um, but they, uh, an article came up on the, the, I guess it was a screen rant or something said, you know, how it was really great that they changed this for the TV show and that they, they, but they framed the, a lot of people framed the scene in the comic is that Annie was attacked or raped and she wasn't. And that's really important because she, mm -hmm. she is literally given a choice. She can walk out the door. No problem. Like nobody lays a hand on her. They shouldn't do what they did. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the seven are scumbags. And that's the whole point of the, the whole point of the thing is these are bad people doing bad things. However, one of the things they did not do was uh, attack her. They gave her mm -hmm. a choice and she chose poorly. And so, um, you know, and that's the point. And and Garth was basing that stuff on things that he he loves James Elroy novels and stuff like that. And that was based on stories from Hollywood casting couches back in the thirties. That's oh, that's exactly yeah, exactly. It's not. It's not. Un, it wasn't based on like, some fabrication. This this is kind of just what's happening is happening. You know that the, the only thing about the Me Too movement is now we actually have a spotlight on it because mm -hmm. it actually people are starting to say, yeah, that happened to me. You know, and it's and it needs to. You know, it used to be in the shadows and it's just getting, us. you know, the rock's been overturned. But the, the fact that we did it back in the comic, you know, it, it's very important for that story arc. And Rainer is never getting attacked either. They're having grudge sex, you know, like she, yeah. she she's willing. She just hates herself for wanting it. You know? <laughs> and, and, you know, that and Butcher's all too happy to take advantage of it. So it's, he's not a great guy either. Not no, no, they're... Mm -hmm. it, 
Yeah, they all have. Well, there's about there's yeah. two nice people in the whole thing, and Annie and you, you're probably it. And then they <laughs> even make their mistakes. So. Yeah, yeah, and even they make some you know irredeemable you know yeah, the, I mean, decisions. They're not totally irredeemable. It's one of the great things about a Garth Ennis story is everybody's kind of morally compromised. <laughs> <laughs> was the uh, was the boys the first property that you've been involved with to to trans you know translate over into a different medium into the tv Technic or technically no um didn't, I, I, happy, I, I happy, right? happy. Yeah, yeah i didn't have, i wasn't okay. involved in the show and they I, they didn't really show my credit um it's buried at the end if you want to wait for it um and then uh back when i was in the 90s i did a show a comic book called nightman i co-created a book called nightman for malibu's ultraverse and mm -hmm. for whatever reason even though that company went down like uh, that property wouldn't die they made an action figure and they made a tv show and it's exactly my costume that i designed and i didn't get any credit or any money from either of those things oh, with the boys you and you mentioned some of that so how involved have you been with the tv show of the boys well i know everybody uh, pretty well at this mm -hmm. point like i i'm friendly with kripke and um and i i've met all the cast they, i was it was really nice they're film in season three and a couple friends of mine that uh, work on the other side of the camera uh, were walking around and I was getting hellos from the cast. It was really nice. Like they were, you know, Anthony Starr said, Hey brother. And I'm like, Oh, that's nice. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, but I got, and I, but I'm friends with Jack uh, Quaid at this point, like he and I text each other and he kind of gives me the inside dope. Like how's it going? Is everybody getting along? It's, it's been nice. Um, I'm sad because I can't go up there because of COVID, but normally I'd, I'd be on set at least once for, um, season three, but I was there for um, a little bit for one and two, but I, I, I don't really get in the, I'm not in the writer's room or anything. And I don't, I don't hire people for, I don't cast people. I get, I get weird emails now, people going, you should really check this person out. I'm like, I'm sure they're great. But that's not my department. <laughs> yeah. You're right. I'm writing Batman, dude. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm the dude that did the comic. I mean, I got, you know, executive producer, co-executive producer is, you know, a title, but they hired me to do artwork for the show and I'm doing some for season three. It's, it's been nice. Like they, uh, you see a lot of my artwork on, around, um, especially in season two. Mm -hmm. um, there was that whole segment uh, oh, yeah. where they're doing the storyboards for the movie presentation. Like they hired me to do all those storyboards. I did like 25 of them. They used seven, but um, that was, but that was a lot of fun. And so they, because they featured them. And then uh, when they walk into that planet bot and you see all the artwork on the walls right. of the superheroes, like 90% of that is mine. Like I did most of those hero shots and things like that. And the, the very first image you see at the very first episode is a illustration of the seven that they hired me specifically to do. And then that becomes the, you know, it all falls together and becomes the bot logo. Is it, is it weird seeing it be like, I mean, like zeitgeist popular? Yeah. The, the zeitgeist part of it is really strange because it was just, yeah it was so in my mind and just part mm -hmm. of my family and friends world for so long mm -hmm. that to see everybody like when I saw people in Homelander costumes at rallies, I was like, well, that's, I'm in a, I'm through the looking glass. This, now. Dude, I live in Wisconsin. Uh oh, I'm I was, sorry. I, I was, I, I love Wisconsin. I, love, I, know, I, love, I'm I was at my hanging out at, at my curling club and this is before we had the Space Bastards talk and hanging out. That, that may the, be the most Wisconsin thing you could have said. I, so I'm at the Curling <laughs> Club, eh? And I uh, say, so, yeah, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm going to be talking to the co-creator of the boys tonight. And they were like, really? <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, just 
you know, everybody knows that show now. People it's, love it's it. It's pretty cool. I mean, it's it's yeah. a much better calling card than 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 it used to be. And I can, uh, I was at a I had to purchase a car today, and uh, at the end of the thing, like we started to get off the. We we're just trying to get the paperwork signed. If you've ever bought a car, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And um, but he says, "So what do you do for a living?" I'm like, and my wife interrupted and said, "We'll get back to that." <laughs> <laughs> if we start talking about it that's all we're going to talk about mm-hmm. and we want to get this paperwork signed so at the very end of the thing he had a little winter soldier uh falcon uh toy and he had a story, reason for being on his desk it's not that he was a big fan it was a gift from a little kid that was driving him crazy but he uh but it looked like a train for a minute there and i said oh i thought <laughs> and i said to my wife i didn't even say it to him i said oh, i thought that may be a train he goes oh i wish it was a train that would be cool no. <laughs> Wait till I tell you. <laughs> I got a picture of me and Jesse uh, uh, Usher on, you know, he's in costume and stuff, like for my season one visit. So I, I just pulled it up at the end. I'm like, uh, that's me. And he's like, what? What? So that was, that was, it's a, it's a much nice. better calling card than it used to be. Nice. You, you can even jump on the car. The paperwork. Yes. What's that? You need to do that before the paperwork. Yeah. You know, like squeeze already, a little extra. It was already, deal was already worked out. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, we're buying a used car. My kids were in a car accident. Our old, our other car got totaled, and they're fine, thank God. But we had to replace the car, so we were out there taking care before of that. Before the uh, before the first season hit, did did was there any expectation that Anthony Starr would sort of no. take over? I mean, I knew because I they sent me an early cut like months and months before it, it, the world saw it, and I had this really weird moment where. I couldn't talk to anybody about it. And, you know, cause I got, I'm under an NDA for most of this stuff, but I couldn't help but like notice how good he was. And, <laughs> and I, my wife doesn't like, we're kind of the opposite attracts couple where she has much better taste in arts and literature than I do. But um, I love comics and toys and she tolerates it, um, <laughs> but she loves me. So it works out. Um, but she will love games of Game of Thrones and Sopranos and you know like the the most gut wrenching serial killer 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 drama. Like she loved Dexter. Like she loves that, but I can't get her to sit through a Marvel movie because they're quote too loud. Mm-hmm. So um, <laughs> sounds like my wife. Yeah, and so and <laughs> sounds like all of our wives. <laughs> so they are loud. Well, they are. And when, <laughs> but when we all sat down to watch this early cut of the boys and I only could show it to my family, um, she was like, and it was like none of the special effects were done or anything. It was like just a real rough cut. But when it was all over, she goes, I cannot wait to see the next one. And I knew that was not just because it was our thing. Yeah. I don't even think she had really read the comics. She was just really loved the show and still does. And so I always, I thought that was a good a good harbinger that, okay, this might do something, but the reaction to it has been just, I, I still don't fully understand it because my world hasn't changed all that much, but at the same time, like I'm deeply grateful that everybody likes the show. I just don't quite know how to process it because it's so well-received. It's doing so, I mean, we won the Rotten Tomatoes critic choice award for best superhero series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a, water, the, it's, a, it's a water cooler show. It really is. It really is. I'm, yeah. And, I, I'm super, I'm super happy, no pun intended, that, because I mean, right before it came out, I was at a convention and they just, I just found out that like the, the tick was getting canceled on Amazon and I was like, geez, I hope it's not like that where we like get a couple seasons and nobody finds it and then it gets canceled real quick. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, hey, as long as it gets made, that's cool. But this has really been something. You made me sad thinking about the tick. 
I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm, friend wrote yeah. that show. I'm sad too. Yeah. I imagine the distance between, you know, the the sort of the zeitgeisty element of like the comic had happened and then there was a, a, a length of time and then all of a sudden like it's now back in a form that yeah. is like suddenly popular and like yeah. much bigger than any comic could be. It was probably an interesting experience. To, well, it's, it's interesting with like you said about with Anthony is like he's kind of the face of the show now. And because uh, he's po- he's so popular on it, and I, I didn't see that coming. Because up until the TV show, if mm-hmm. I did a convention, people would be you know, oh, will you draw me a butcher? Will you draw me butcher? Or butcher Huey? Sometimes terror. Uh, and nobody nobody asked for Homelander, and that's like the number one request I get now. And I have to tell yeah. him I can't draw Anthony from memory. It's going to look like he did. In the <laughs> is there any is there any concern of like him turning into you know sort of the like, oh, no. Rorschach esque, where it's like you're not supposed to like him that much. Yeah, that's actually the secret sauce. That's really why Anthony is awesome because, as a person, he's not Homelander at all. He's really not. <clears throat> and um, as far as you know, at the same time, like he he knows how to bring that charm in. Yeah. So like like episode one's perfect where you first see him, like you know, he just brutally murders a dude. It throws him in the air and he crashes into a car and then the kids are like, can we get a selfie? And he's like, yeah, of course. And then he's got that great smile and, you know, and when he's trying to keep it together, you could see it, but he's so good. Like he, he just has so many layers. He brought so many layers to that character that I don't even think we really ex- explored in the comics. The comics had a different uh, take mm-hmm. on him and a different reason for him being the way he was. And uh, I don't want to spoil that for anybody because it's a big reveal in the comics, but um I really liked both, but I think what Anthony and Eric are doing with it, Eric Kripke, I think what they've done with that character is so much more intriguing. And the seven in general, like the seven weren't all that complicated in the comics. They were, um, they were, they almost were, uh, I kind of half comedy fodder and just sort of there to be foils for the boys. Like uh, to get to know them. I drew, I wrote a, I was speaking of writing and drawing again. Uh, at one point, I was going to write and draw this A-Train solo thing that I decided not to do, but it was uh, going to go into his backstory. I was surprised when they did the uh, the brothers and then on the racetrack because that was actually – and no, nobody ever saw it except for the publisher. Uh, and then I decided not to go forward with it, but they, uh, but, uh, but that was part of the story that I was going to do A-Train's backstory and how he got to where he was in issue one. But that was – you know, but as I was writing that, I was realizing how much – like those characters, the backstory on the characters hadn't been explored as much as explained. Like we had a reason for everybody, but we didn't really get mm-hmm. attached to their personal lives, but we understood that Vogelbaum built them and this whole world war two thing gone wrong. And, you know, you know, it brings up an interesting question of, of, of like, we've, we've seen over the last decade and how popular superhero and comic book movies have become. And yeah, like we said, these zeitgeist things where everyone that people that don't <laughs> read comics have never read a comic book in their life are obsessed with these characters and these stories. And it's like, you, you would almost hope that at some point publishers would understand part of the reason is, is that the creators are given so much more time and energy to make the stories for the films and TV shows than the creators are, are given for comics. Like you guys got to pump this stuff out in, a, in 30 days, Word. you know, and, and there's no chance that you can have the same sort of depth 
and or if you do, it's an it's absolutely amazing that you you can do in a in a TV show like with Amazon with the resources and the backing in a writers room and and you know all the time that they're given to produce this. It's yeah. really a shame that we don't give that same kind of time to comics. I think. Well, I mean, it's a different beast, and that's really what it comes down to. What's interesting to me so much is that without the last ten years of Marvel movies, I don't think the boys would have ever gotten made. It's only because we had sort of like everybody's palate had been uh, softened for the idea of an adult superhero, even though the Marvel movies aren't exactly uh, adult in that regard. Mm -hmm. They are a lot like where the boys goes with it. But, you know, you had Tony Stark as kind of a, you know, morally compromised dude at the beginning of the movie and the way Jonathan Rowe presented him. And I like that. He was drinking girls and stuff. You know, he's a playboy and and brilliant. But I like so much that those films, and I'm a big fan of all those movies, and I love the Marvel and the DCU. Um, so for me, I think without those, we wouldn't have been able to – The Boys is such a nice counter programming for what you've already been through. But having a context for what superheroes can be and how they can be really helps because – most people are still grounded in their memories of comics from the childhoods. And that's a very outdated model. I mean, everything kind of changed in the mid eighties with Frank Miller and mm -hmm. Alan Moore, you know, like sure. they really redirected where comics would go. Um, and up until then it was, you know, still being very much, it was very much super friends and Batman 1966. Mm -hmm. And then people started taking those characters seriously Um because you could put them in a more serious light. You could handle them realistically, which is what Marvel was always great at without losing the, the wonder, I guess. Um, but that, that's really, I think what's interesting now is that, I mean, the success of WandaVision is a really great example of how mm -hmm. far we've come where an audience will go, okay, now what's happening? <laughs> I, I think, I think viewers like the, the we'll say, comic book and which we shouldn't but the superhero viewers mm -hmm. are starting to realize something that we realize as comic book fans years ago is that just because there's a cape and a cowl in it yeah. doesn't mean that it can't be a romance story or right. a crime story or a western or yeah and it's uh we'd mentioned greg rucka a little mm -hmm. while ago we talked to him years ago now and he said that's one of the reasons I love doing superheroes is that yeah. if I want to, I can write any kind of story I want. It's really true. Mm -hmm. It's very true. And I think that that's the, the limitations of superheroes are only what the creators put on them mm -hmm. and what, or what editorial will allow. It really comes down to how great these characters are. And one of the things that I really treasure about being, having had the career that I've had, you know, and like coming back around to the fact that I'm writing and drawing Batman. Like I, I had my, Teddy bear when I was a kid was actually a bat amigo Batman action figure with the removable cow. It's like, I have such a deep attachment to that character that um, it, it occurs to me as I grow older and deeper into this, that very few things remain as popular in the zeitgeist as superheroes have like the fact that Batman, when they announce a new Batman or a new Batman movie, the internet blows up still, even though there's been a bunch of Batman stuff. And it goes all the way back to the 40s. Same with Superman. It's that it's very few of these characters and a lot of the big Marvel stories that we're just now enjoying have their roots in the 60s when I was born. You know, so 
the fact that this gets handed over from generation to generation and generations of creators to another generation of creators, that's pretty special. It doesn't happen with with pretty much anything else. Music, you know, a song that was super popular in the 40s is highly unlikely to be super popular Mm -hmm. today, like charting at number one, which these superhero films do. I mean, say what you will about like the Zack Snyder Justice League thing, but what movie has a studio ever gone back and spent another $70 million? <laughs> yeah. Another movie's worth a movie. Yeah, it's insane. Really. But, <laughs> so I mean, it speaks to the, the power of superheroes and, yeah. and how much people, you know, are, are in love with this stuff, which well, is, I, you know, and, and actually I'm a big fan of that. I think that that's the way I, the open-mindedness behind that and that there was a demand for it, but I, I remember when I saw the theatrical version of Watchmen, I, I, I liked it, but I didn't like it. Like, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, the costumes looked good. And there was like a lot, I could tell there was a lot of heart in it, but it felt rushed and it felt truncated and it had a weird editing, especially towards the last 10 minutes of the theatrical cut. <clears> you just, just don't feel right. And then I bought the extended director's ultimate cut that has all this it's like three hours. The comic, the 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 pirate story and it interweaved has, yeah, in it. it has the yeah. Black Ranger stuff back in there, and then there's like these interviews of uh, the original Owl Man or Night Owl on sixty minutes, but it's done in yeah. a seventies style. Really cool mm-hmm. stuff like that. that Behind the mask. Yeah, so rich, <laughs> so rich. And I when that that I took I walked away from that thinking, okay, well when this guy's let. Let's they let this guy do his thing. He has a real vision for this. So I've only watched about 15 minutes of the first one because I my son wants to watch it with me and I'd never pass up that opportunity. But I, I just wanted to get a feel for it. And already the first 15 minutes of the first episode, I'm like, this is tremendously better than the, than the theatrical cut. Like, I remember like things annoyed me in the theatrical cut, like that scene after Batman and Aquaman meet uh, Arthur Curry, like takes, takes a big swirl off of a bottle and throws it in the ocean. He would kick your ass for doing that. Why is Aquaman polluting the ocean? Why is he throwing garbage in the ocean? Yeah, not litter. Not my Aquaman. I'm sorry. I don't mind. Maybe maybe there's a dolphin out there. He's catching it (laughs) to a safe place. I don't know. I want to see that. I want to see that. (laughs) Brian's Justice League. An octopus, friendly octopus out there. He's drinking um, it. Drunk, dr- yeah, drunk dolphin. But I just I just felt like the tone and the tenor and everything, it already is off to a much better start. And I'm much more curious about where it goes. But I like that they gave Zack Snyder like a platform to like, hey, make a four hour series out of this or, a, you know, four episode series out of this movie. Yeah. They did the same thing with Hateful Eight for Netflix and nobody complained. You know. it, it's crazy. I mean, it's it's a polarizing movie. He's a polarizing director. But when he, something comes out, everybody's talking about it. Everybody talks about it. I, oh, yeah, I, I'm not, you know, if it's good and I enjoy it, I'll say it. If I don't mm-hmm. like it, I'll say it. But I mean, it's like, you know, I, I, my, my opinion shouldn't carry any anybody else, any more weight than anybody else's other than I love those characters, too. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's not the only place that I would say, like I said, I, I, Aquaman should not be throwing trash in the ocean that's that's <laughs> <laughs> also I didn't like i didn't like batman like killing so many people in batman versus superman like batman with machine guns on the batmobile yeah uh, he doesn't like guns that's kind of a big thing for batman batman's not big yeah. on guns it, i have to wrap my head around a four three aspect yeah. ratio <laughs> yeah. why why i don't why? know but it, it's interesting 
It's weird. It's a little hard at first because I'm just sort of like. I was like, oh, were, you, were you like me, like fiddling with your remote? Like, where's the settings? What did I yeah, do? Was like, like, well, thankfully, thankfully they put the disclaimer up beforehand. Yeah. Because I would, and I was just like, I will say this: after about 15, 20 minutes, I stopped noticing or thinking. Yeah, about I was. It. I remember people used to bitch about Letterbox, and now that's the standard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, apparently the reason that they said it was shot like that is that he was shooting a lot of the original for IMAX. Which is stuff that he had is shot in that format because it's much closer to four by three. But I don't know. It was a a big, gigantic, dumb movie with a ton of like really cool moments. But yeah, I'm like, like, there's just things I don't want to see these characters do. And, yeah. and it's, it's a little I, too gloomy and 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 nihilistic yeah. for me, but whatever. It, it yeah, is I, I, I'm not a big fan of the the dark palette on everybody, but and again, I'm I'm not. You know, nobody's giving me seventy million dollars to make a <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sleep movie. If they do, and I blow it, well, we can we can revisit this yeah. conversation. Sure. Well, um, I, I don't want to. I don't want to wrap up before we talk uh, about release dates for Legend of the Dark Knight. I know that Sal's got another uh, couple questions, but I wanted to get in it. April April second. It is releasing digital. Correct. Uh, I think that sounds right. I, I, I've heard a couple mm-hmm. different dates. I know the DC website has the accurate. Um, you can go to DC the DC site and they, they have the accurate release dates. And it's, and it's three, it's, it's, uh, it's three, um, no, it's six. It's ten six page. chapters, the 10 yeah. pages yeah. each, and yeah. then they'll release them as three print issues. And the yes. whole thing is 60 pages. It's a 60 page story that I penciled, inked and wrote. So. Well, nice. tell us a little bit about that process. And, and I mean, you said, I think at the beginning of the show, how excited you are, to tell a Batman story, you're writing it and yeah. drawing it. And, and uh, well, I, I just, I've loved Batman my whole life. And he's, he's a character that I've always, I have uh, artwork that I did before I went mainstream. I used to do paintings and pinups of Batman. He was real popular in 89, as you may remember. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. but I, but I loved him anyway. I, you know, I, I was, I was always a big fan of the character and have been. So this was a really nice opportunity. Ironically, um, I, it was a stop start situation. I got hired to do this back in 2013 and I had done most of the work between 2013 and 2015 and then they canceled the line. And so all this work kind of went into a rabbit hole. And uh, during the time that the DC was moving from New York to Burbank, a lot of things got lost in the shuffle and this Batman story was one of them. And it wasn't only until recently that, um, Ben Abernathy said, Hey, I think we have a place for your story. And I didn't know what that meant. I thought maybe I'd, you know, 60 pages, maybe be half of an annual or something. Um, but then they came back saying, we're going to relaunch legends of the dark Knight. And you're going to be the first story out of the shoot. And I was like, ah. because I had done so much work on this and it's been a labor of love. And I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel with the story as much as just tell a story that means something to me. And, uh, and it's been fun. Cause I'm, it, it bounces around in time a little bit and I, I you know, I, I narrate through Batman through part of it. Some of it is people that have been observing Batman over the course of about uh, 40, 40 to 48 hours that Batman hasn't slept uh, leading up to the beginning of this story. So he's exhausted. And one of the things that always comes back around to me with Batman is that he's just a dude, you know, at the end of the day, he doesn't have any superpowers. He's his superpower is his mind and his unbreakable will and um that and his money 
<laughs> but I mean, even, I think they're even exploring that now in the current series that mm-hmm. even without money, he's still, yeah. he's still Batman. And so, you know, all the money, you know, money can't buy you love. So uh, it can buy a lot of batarangs, though. It buys some batarangs, but it can't, buy you, it can't buy you, you know, more sleep when you need to be sleeping. Or, you know, but he's vulnerable, and that's so. For me, it's I, I wrote this story about him, kind of going through a horrible endurance, uh, and why does he push himself so hard? And so that's what my story is. The theme of my story is. But it was great because when I originally did it, I just wanted to have this one scene between Batman and the Joker, and this is the thing I thought up years ago, and. Um, my editor came back and said, we love it. Can you put more villains in it? And I went, yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, we bought pizza. Would you like more toppings? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, yeah. please. Yeah, so, that Rhodes Gallery. Uh, Heck yeah. Yeah, it, it was, so I was I was pretty happy that um, I ended up getting to write a whole bunch of different Batman villains. Um, and I tried to play with them all in their own unique ways. And, uh, you know. Uh, again, I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel, it's, but uh, I hope I hope that people enjoy it. I hope it's a, I, I hope I don't drop the, the drop the ball on the on the script end of things. Do you know? So this is the first story of the relaunch of Legends of the Dark Knight, but it's going to be an ongoing series. Then, mm-hmm. yeah, it's. I think they've capped it already, but they they do have a number of different uh, Legends of the Dark Knight stories. The nice thing about Legends of the Dark Knight is that it it just has to be canon. It doesn't have to be continuity. So like, I don't have to, I, it didn't have to totally fit mm-hmm. into a certain point. So at this point of uh, where I set the story was somewhere after the big earthquake and somewhere where Robin's not around anymore. And, and Batman's just kind of like sad <laughs> for lack of a better word. Sad Batman. It's sad, sad Batman. Sad Batman. Sad. How tall is Batman? How tall is Batman? Because I got the answer right in front of me. What's your guess? Two, I believe. What was your guess? Six two. Ooh, baby, you nailed it. Six two. <laughs> hey, he wins in the He's round got round. two thumbs in as a comics pro. Yeah. <laughs> there. Earth two and Earth one Batman, both six two. There you go. There's some consistency. <laughs> With a round comics button. That. Yeah, Batmite. How tall do you think Batmite is? Uh, Batmite? Yeah. yeah. I'm going to go three two, feet? Foot, two foot three. Tw- tw- 26 inches. No, Derek's closest, two foot eleven. Well, he is comics pro. He is he is comics <laughs> he is pro. I have to think about these things way too much. <laughs> we do have a question from one of our viewers, if you okay. don't mind. Let's uh, go to Greg Porter. He said he's loving the boys on TV. Wondering if they'll be brave enough to uh, for Mother's Milk to power up on screen. I, guess. I don't. I don't. I don't know. And if I did, I couldn't say so. <laughs> The only thing I can say is that they are gonna they're gonna do something with Herogasm in season three because the showrunner announced that on Twitter. So nice. I was shocked that they used love sausage. Like I, I was too. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> it was pretty phenomenal. I, I still have photos of that of the sculpt <laughs> for his prosthetic. <laughs> it was awesome. the most horrible thing I've ever seen. <laughs> Uncut. <laughs> um. Uh, I have a, one more question about the boys. I, I, you're probably sick of, of answering questions about it, but I just I'm um, sick of the fact that there's a lot I can't talk about. So no, no, I, this is about the comic, not not about the TV show. Um, so going down here, so I'm going to turn on my desk light. And oh, I was like, yeah, it's, it's a little getting, mood light. 
Now I look like I'm being interrogated. Where it's was not, I? It's not, it's not quite the floating head now. That's good. <laughs> yeah, that's where I was heading, so I thought maybe. <laughs> so the legend in, yes. in the original series, I, we, I've always assumed was Stan Lee. Or it's it was an amalgam. Amalgam of Stan Lee. The only thing that really is like Stan Lee is like his, like, uh, like he was sort of the mascot of that company, but he's much more bitter than Stan ever was. Yeah. And I guess that, that was sort of, I, reading that book, I'm, I'm, you know, I had this weird uh, thing where it's like, I'm always delving in, like trying to figure out what you guys are saying or what, you know, any comic book creator is saying in, in between the lines, I guess. And, and with that one, it was obviously, you know, you're playing with a lot of the, uh, I think, history of, of comics in some ways, a lot of possibly stories yeah. behind the scenes in comics and, and, with the legend, it was like it seemed like it was Stan, but then it didn't really seem like it was a. Uh, I was surprised that it wasn't sort of a, as sarcastic or sardonic a take on on that character as maybe I would think it would be. Well, we didn't. Of, we weren't out to skewer anybody. I mean, like the the, the truth of the matter is that well, all we the, the the root of our story, you know, and mostly from Ennis's side. And it's just imagined a world that if we really had superheroes in it, like it, it, it was born of a conversation of, you know, how there's always these battles and there's never any collateral damage. Like people are throwing, knocking down buildings, throwing around cars and like yet nobody gets hurt because there'd be so much, so many people would die every time the slightest superhero battle would lead to so much property damage that there's just no way people are walking away unscathed. And if the world believes they are, why is that? So he started exploring that. As, a, as what if the superheroes existed in our world, they would just be as corrupt as anybody else with power and money. Part and of the fame. firm. Yeah. So he took a little bit of politics and a little bit of celebrity culture, you know, and like I said, Hollywood casting couches from the 30s and a little bit of James Elroy mystery and watered them up and then put a cape on it, you know, yeah. and that and he doesn't have the sentimentality for the boys or sorry for the superheroes that uh, I did growing up. Like I told you, like Batman was my teddy bear. So I was like, I'm thrilled just to be working, you know, and that's kind of what I bring to the, I think that's why we have kind of a nice yin yang to what we do with the, with the, with the comics, what we did, because I was just happy to be creating superheroes and drawing superheroes. And I loved Gar's writing. So I knew it was a great script. I knew it was going to be a good story. But at the same time, I got to draw superheroes and it was just fun. I also like drawing like Space Beaver. If you go back to Space Beaver, it was me sort of twisting up because I have a weird dark sense of humor, too. And the original idea behind Space Beaver is I love the idea of these cute cartoon animals that you'd see on Saturday morning, you know, and yet when they get into battles, they, they would like brains would fly out and blood would spill out <laughs> like that to me that made me laugh stuffed animals with blood and bones and guns and then on top of that and then i tried to make it really like all kinds of pathos and drama and like way over the top because i thought it was hilarious like these fuzzy animals emoting and you know i don't think anybody got the joke but me I, there were people that were like oh i like that story i'm like it was supposed to be a joke i but i was a kid i didn't know i was just regurgitating what I thought was funny. And, um, but I didn't, I, I didn't want to be on the nose with the funny. The funny was supposed to be between the lines. Like, Oh, this is a, uh, it's overly dramatic because it's supposed, that's the part. It's kind of like, I don't know if you ever saw, uh, 
Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. Oh, it's like, yeah, yeah, I love. And the thing that makes that movie so good is they play it straight. It's yeah. like they don't really go for the over the top uh, jokes. They're playing it straight, and that's what makes it so funny. Sure, you know. Um, Did you ever see that? There was a puppet movie. Oh gosh, I can't. I can't think of the name of it, but it came out and it was. I mean, it was kind of horrific. It was about a cop, like a cop, puppet cop, chasing a murderer. But there's a scene. My wife and I were watching it, and this. No, was, I don't want to see this film now. <laughs> there was a scene where um, they go into a puppet strip club, and there and there's there's a like a a lap dance scene with puppets and silly string. That's all I can really. <laughs> No, but I'm, I'm sold. I, but I'm thinking of Team America is like, you know, like the, the, they did with uh, the South Park guys did Team America. And they oh, yeah. Right. Scenes with these mannequins. Or these Gary. Mannequins. Gary. It's our favorite line out of that movie. <laughs> <laughs> but they're doing, but the, the, set, the over the top sex scenes, but with those like old Jerry Anderson style marionettes. Yeah, right. Hilarious. It's called that's the kind of thing that makes me laugh. So I, I just, that that's, so with the boys just bringing it full circle is that, you know, that's the whole point is that we were making a statement, not so much about comics, but what co- comics represent in the zeitgeist of culture. And if these were real, it, like if Superman was somebody that you actually saw nightly on the news, you know, and what if in truth, like he was a bad guy, that's where the Homelander comes from. But the, but I never would tear down Superman that way. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to draw a story about Superman doing those things. But, you know, like in Superman... Like the deep would throw a bottle into the ocean and you're cool. Oh, in a hot minute. And yeah. probably at the end of, like, filming a scene about how you got to clean up the ocean. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's like, you know, it's, uh, he'd you be know, doing a PSA, you know, and then, mm-hmm. like, as soon as he's done, you know, leave trash for someone else to clean up. Because that's because the deep's awful. Um, but that's what makes that work for me. Because I remember, like, also in Superman 3, terrible movie, other... Then when bad Superman goes to the bar, yeah, that's <laughs> and, and yeah. that slightly darker Superman costume, yeah. Mister Faree with a five o'clock shadow, Jack Bourbon. I'm like, Daddy happy. That's gold. Yeah, I'm like that's that was gold. just great because well, that's I mean, like they handled it well and it had a, pl- a place and a purpose, you know. Well, you guys, you know, famously at least, you know, uh, in, in comics. The boys started out at Wildstorm. It's it was yeah. a uh, DC DC was publishing through through Wildstorm. You know, at, I mean, was there a point leading up to that where where you and and Garth Ennis were like, yeah, we, we might be pushing this one a little. Well, we, were, we were so open about it. We were a little bit surprised when there was like a big reaction from mm-hmm. DC because we didn't really. We, was, the book was selling great. I mean, it was yeah. a hit. We were critical. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was the, the comic book had a similar reception to the way the TV show is being received now within comics. Like we were doing really well. And Wildstorm and everybody over at Wildstorm couldn't have been happier. And it wasn't until it got further up the ladder that I guess not everything had been communicated to the higher ups at DC <laughs> at the time and Warner Brothers. And they were yeah. a little bit like and I understand now looking back on it, because if you read through the old Wildstorm number one, um, you have like, you know, grudge sex with Rainer right next to a advertisement for the justice league and, mm-hmm. you know, heads exploding right next to an advertisement for Batman. And so definitely can you can see where the line might be getting blurred. Yeah. But we literally put on the poster 
Garth's statement that we're gonna, I'm gonna out preach a preacher. That was the goal. That was we were really clear what we were gonna do. We weren't shy about it and didn't see the reason that we should be. It's one of the reasons we went to Wildstorm as opposed to trying to do it as a lesser. Mm-hmm. A hard-hitting book at DC proper somehow because originally the the concept for it was going to fit like into the DCU the way Hitman did, and oh. you know oh, wow. we thought okay. that was the original idea behind it. But then the deeper we got into it, it's like no, we needed to really. We decided to go with a Watchmen route and like just take take characters and use them as archetypes as opposed to trying to tear down the actual characters because even Hitman treats the overall, you know, there's funny moments in Hitman, but he has respect for Batman and, and Superman within mm-hmm. that world, you know. Sure. Well, I remember when it happened and I mean it wasn't a question of 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 if, it was just a question of who was gonna pick this up and and run with it. And it seems like Dynamite was a was a real good match for you guys. Yeah, they were Nick, I I I have a long relationship with Nick Barucci and he was he really he he told me straight up like I read this book. I have to publish this book. Um, and I, so I, I, you know, we went there, like, it seemed like a natural fit because Nick and I had had a, you know, we known each other for so long that, um, and he, and he was so enthusiastic about it that it seemed like a good, good fit. So, and then they've done a great job of like keeping it in print and recollecting it. Oh yeah. The omnibus editions are those awesome. Omnibuses are yeah. really nice. I yeah. really like that. Those are really, it's a good package for the money too. Yeah. All right. Well, I, we don't want to overstay our welcome. Um, Sal, you have one more question. Uh, I have another question. Well, okay. this is a general question mm-hmm. email we got, but I figured Derek could answer this as well. He, him okay. being a comic book fan as well as a creator. Uh, it's from Wes. It said, uh, Hey guys, I was curious what your favorite C or D list characters in comics were. Personally, I've always enjoyed getting to see detective chimp show up for an issue in a random DC comic. <laughs> so Derek, any favorite C or D list character? Yeah, most, most, most of my favorites are C and D list. Um, my favorite New Warrior was Speedball. Um, I love drawing him. I loved Elongated. I liked Elongated Man. Uh, he mm. was a lot of fun to draw with them when I was drawing Justice League Europe. And uh, they, I, I, I just enjoyed the hell out of those uh, Kevin Maguire, Jam DeMattis, and Keith Giffen Justice Leagues because most of those characters at the time were like, you know, C and D list characters, and yet they made them mm-hmm. vibrant and interesting and funny. Yeah. So, um, you know, I don't does Plastic Man count? I still love him. <laughs> and uh, you know, and I like Squirrel Girl. She's had a had a revival, but I used to, I liked her when she wasn't popular. Nice. I was always a uh, a D man fan. I was such a Daredevil fan. It was like <laughs> I like the idea of like a sort of broken, bizarro world yeah. Daredevil character. <laughs> yeah. I also, uh, when they brought Jamie Maddox, uh, Maddox back and, and sort of delved into his character a bit more in the X-Men. Oh, stuff. those, those X-Factor, X-Factor, that entire X-Factor run was X-Men. Peter David. David stuff, right? Yeah. I love that series. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. Ryan Sook art. That's when yeah, I fell in love with Ryan Sook. Yeah. It's so good. Stuff, right? Guy keeps raising the bar. One of those guys. What you know, who are the who are the it artists for you like right now that if you see oh, anybody on the stands that you're just like, yeah, I gotta this is I, I don't I'm a I don't I, I, hate, I hate answering this question because then I feel like I'm leaving somebody mm-hmm. out. Uh but just <laughs> somebody whose stuff like just constantly blows me away is Doc Shaner. I love Doc Shaner's yeah. stuff. Every time I see it, it's like it, it revives the boyhood love of those characters for me. Yeah. Uh, I think Ryan Sook's doing amazing work. Um 
but I, I'm, I'm, I'm also not very good at staying contemporary with comics at the moment because I don't have a shop near me or anything. So I'm really just kind of in, embedded in my own world. But if I see them, I see some of their stuff on Twitter or I come across it when I do a store sign and I kind of stock up and catch up on the last few years of what I've been missing out on. But um, yeah, but Doc Shaner just jumped to mind when you asked. I mean, my all my the guys I loved back in the 80s, I still love now too, like, you know, uh, Brian Hitch and uh, uh, I say I'm totally terrible with names, but um, <laughs> I love Brian Hitch, Adam Hughes and Kevin McGuire still are doing incredible work. Uh, love their stuff. Hey, can I ask you a question? Uh, it's another Space Beaver question, but sure. I, yeah, I, like that. <laughs> I find um, it funny that people want to talk about them. In, in, in some of the issues I noticed, like there were almost like airbrushed looking covers. Was Yeah, the, yeah. There, no, it, it was a weird, that's a weird, um, I had a lot of like help from friends and friends of friends at that stage of my career because I was just getting going. So the first issue, uh, my friend Gene uh, and I, uh, we watercolored the covers. Like he did the front cover, I did okay. the back cover. His watercolors were much better than mine, but I drew everything. His mother was a professional painter. She used to paint portraits of horses for people and has some pieces in museums. She's a really talented lady, really knew how to paint animals. Animals were her specialty. <laughs> and so we got a wild hair up our ass and I'm like, Hey, if I drew it, could you paint it? So like the really good oil painted covers for a couple of covers that are just like, what, how, what the hell? I mean, no, they're beautiful. And like, they really I, never, are. I couldn't paint on that level, but that's my drawing mm -hmm. underneath. So, and then I, you know, but she helped out, like she kind of taught me a little bit about how to paint and they're varying degrees of, you know, of competency in there, but you can see some are better than others. And then uh, at one point, I think the only airbrush cover that I remember was issue 11. And it's really funny because this was like the end of the of the Space Beaver uh, run because I walked away from it at that point. It wasn't making any money and it was just a big <laughs> drag and I was starting to get work uh, professionally and I just didn't have time for it. And I didn't think anybody was reading it anyway because the publisher was constantly complaining about how much money he was losing on it. <laughs> and uh, what was really funny is that he apparently they did an airbrushed cover from a drawing I did. They got this guy to airbrush it for number 11. And then the art got damaged on the way to the printer. Oh, this was the old days before mm -hmm. digital. And they printed it with the damage. on. <laughs> it's, it's visible on the cover. And I'm like, man, you know, That's... that time, baby. <laughs> anyway, we had to, we had to do it. We had to do it. And hit the presses, man. Are you uh, are you working digital or traditional now, or combination? I still work traditional. Um, I do um, pen and ink and pencil, um, just the way I always did. And I, but I scan it and then I add effects and and clean it up on okay. on uh, on Photoshop. So I I draw because back in the day, if you wanted to put tones on your work, you had to buy this stuff called Zipatone and sure. had an adhesive <laughs> pack on it. And it was really expensive. And very I am costly. a 48-year-old graphic designer. You know I, exactly I, what I'm talking about with Zipatone. I've got you have, frisket. You, you even got the scraps yeah. because you never know when you might have an eyeball to patch or something. Yep. So I, I wanted it to be – instead, I learned to crosshatch. So a lot of Space Beaver was heavily crosshatched. Um, but now it's like I can drop tone in uh, digitally, so I do that. Like I, I like to – my black and white uh, stuff is very lush and layered and – in different levels of gray 
uh, on top of, you know, black and white ink art that I, I start with. Yeah, it's all got to be digital at some point now. So yeah, I know a lot of people have gone digital. I can't quite make that jump. It just feels too. Uh, I don't know. There's something very satisfying about having original art when mm-hmm. you're all done with a you know when you're all done with a project, and it makes you know people will purchase it, and also like it makes a nice gift, and and, and there's something. It's it's almost like a diary, you know, that I'm uh, yeah. like I I know what I did with my time if it's black and white digital art. Mm-hmm. So um, oh, I can show this. I'm trying to I'm digging through my drawer here. So this is a, this is a finished black and white piece. This is the, my first cover for justice league uh, last ride. They've, they've announced this so I can show them the art. Cool. So you can get an idea of what it looks like before it goes to the scanner. Very cool. So I draw yeah. a non photo blue and then I ink over that and, you know, and then I do final cleanup when it gets to the, uh, when I get it. Uh, and you sell your original art uh, yourself, right? You, you, uh, my uh, wife does. My wife deals with my original art. We keep it in the family. Oh, yeah. You guys have been looking at this all day. Here you go. There's the original art. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, that's yeah. The cover for uh, number one. Yeah. I so, that on the, uh... so you can see all the, like, I put the bats in there and, you know, like I put nice. all, a lot of work into the originals. Yeah. And I know it's I know it's uh, good for you, and I, it's great for artists. I love it, and I'm not complaining at all. Uh, does it kind of blow you away how the the price on original art has just skyrocketed? Yeah, in the last it's been few years? weird because it's for. I mean, we're sitting on a lot of my stuff because my wife. We've always been of the mind of, of we wanted we wanted to go to the hands of people that are going to really want it rather than turn mm-hmm. it around as a product, and so mm-hmm. we do layaway plans and things like that. And she handles it all. It's it's very it's very personal. Yeah. It's like not um, we do. You can go to DerekRobertson.com and get a hold of her if you have something in mind you want. And you know the boys' stuff has gone way up in value because of oh, the sure. show. But you know now we're but it's it's I'm happy to see that happening because I have a lot of original art still. Sure, so. sure. It's an it's <laughs> an income stream. I, I started putting away like first issues for my kids, so I have like all Wolverine number one, you know, put away in a drawer intact. Oh, I nice. have all of you know, I uh, started, I learned my lesson on Transmetropolitan because I let that stuff go really willy-nilly and I regret that. Yeah. I talked to Tony Moore about oh, some of the early Walking Dead pages that, that yeah. he sold off and the the regret for that. You know, I, yeah. I was lucky. I was lucky enough to to talk to Neil Adams uh, at a convention. It was kind of a, a, a walk and talk interview. And we just happened to walk by a dealer who had the cover of, of, um, the Superman Ali comic. Oh, and it was like like 25 grand or something yeah. it was no it, it wasn't the cover it was the inside splash page and you just kind of I noticed him just kind of look at it and just kind of shake his head a little bit yeah because you know yeah. it's, this is a brutal it's hard for creators in that regard mm-hmm. like you know we have to make a living and it's not like anybody is really getting super rich doing comics mm-hmm. unless you, you know start your own toy company or something and yeah. You kind of can't know what's going to be huge, no. you know, like what's going to be worth something and what's no, you don't. And that's gonna, the thing. Yeah. When you're living through it, that's the thing. That's the irony. Like Transmetropolitan was was you know, we were barely staying afloat, you know, and like they they was all constant threat of being canceled. You know, it wasn't selling really well in the day. It does much better now than it did back in the day when it was coming out as a monthly book. It wasn't. Mm-hmm. It was a, it had a cult following. Didn't have. It was not popular. And then, uh, you know, 
even with the boys, it's like, you know, it, it's, it's much more popular now because it's got the world's greatest advertisement on television for it. But mm-hmm. you know, it was, it was, it did good, but it didn't do like it's doing now. It's, it's, it's insane, but I'm, oh, you know, sure. I'm not unhappy about it. <laughs> it's, just like, <laughs> it's just weird. Speaking of transmit, just I, I, a question popped in my head real quick, but you know, was there ever any, um, I don't know, connection or, or, or I, I, did you ever hear Can I from finish the question Hunter? for you? Yes, please. Alan Moore, is that what you're going to ask me? <laughs> no, no, I wasn't. <laughs> Hunter S. Thompson. I was going to yes, ask. Yes, actually, Hunter S. Thompson was an influence on the. No, no, no I knew that. It had ever gotten back to him, or he, it, it did. Was... Actually, I, I can't prove this, but I swear on my the souls of my children, this is absolutely true. Back in the early days of the internet, when the book was first coming out, Hunter S. Thompson had a website, and one of the earliest websites I had ever traveled to, and he had a whole thing. I don't know if he wrote it or whoever ran his website. It was his official website with this symbol and his logo and everything. It was like HunterSThompson.com or something like that. But he had a thing about Transmetropolitan on it, and apparently he did like it. So oh, awesome. that Good made shit. me happy because I know he doesn't always like the he mm-hmm. doesn't like the interpretations of him, and he didn't like the Doonesbury thing very much. But apparently he really did like uh, he liked Transmetropolitan and had nice things to say about it. And that was I wish I knew how to do a screen grab back then, but it was I mean, literally having PCs, and that was still in the days when it was you had to listen to the the dial-up modem to get on to. You could you could have saved that screen grab to a floppy disk. Yeah, you saved your folder. You waited a half hour to download a couple photos. Well, since you brought up Alan Moore, did 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 you ever hear about from Alan Moore on on? No, because it was never based on him. I didn't even know what Alan Moore looked like. (laughs) <laughs> really? That's my friend Andre Ricciardi. It's it's if you have the absolute editions, there's even a photograph of Andre modeling as Spider for me. And Andre, okay. if you Google right now, if you Google the name Andre Ricciardi, he comes up with the way he looked, and he has that big hair and that crazy beard. Mm-hmm. That was his regular. I, I never really. I never got to add. Yeah, I, I never got the Elmore. I mean, I thought. Thank God! I just I keep getting asked yeah. that. They, they thought. No. We were doing something about Alan Moore and Grant Morrison, and we weren't because Grant had hair when I was drawing Transmetropolitan, okay. and I'd never met or seen Alan Moore because that was like kind of pre-internet days, so you didn't really know what creators looked like. No, I, I always assumed it was it was Hunter. It was influenced yeah. by Hunter. I mean, yeah, I him and another uh, 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 an amalgam of a of a few different uh, journalists that Warren was really following. I was a Hunter S. Thompson fan. Warren's knowledge of politics and journalism was much better than mine so i mean yeah, we, and say, stop watering <laughs> <laughs> yeah we did we just did it as a as a, a book of the month the uh, the first volume and it was kind of um both amazing and really scary how how well it's aged and I, how like I, it really bothers me how well it's aged because it's, that was yeah. us thinking like this is some crazy shit in the future yeah. Like, uh, and the, the future, funniest the future thing is, is that here. Like, all the things I imagined, I didn't imagine an iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, we talked about that. There, there was, there were yeah. definitely things in there that you, you imagined. Yeah. I saw a Google Glass, but I didn't see an iPhone. Yeah, yeah. I. Uh, it's funny. I just read an article by uh, another comic book writer who was writing about um, Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns, and it was, it was a, not a flattering 
look back at something 35 years old. And, and one of the things that stuck with me was like, he talked about how the, he felt the main thesis of that book was about how um, Batman felt that the world was, was ruined by limp wristed liberals and it needed a real man to sort of, you know, take charge and, 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 yeah. and, and it's like, well, that's one way of certainly looking at it, I think, but it's like, well, you know, is, is, is he, was he prescient in his writing in <laughs> Dark Knight Returns? I mean, you I know, mean, well, at, I mean he was really based in like a lot of what was happening in present day. It's kind of like what we do with Transmet. Like we were, mm-hmm. we were looking back at with Transmet, like Warren was a lot of what he was talking about was Nixon, you know? Yeah. And Watergate and those scandals mm-hmm. and a little bit of Tony Blair and what was going on over in England at the same time and, and things that I didn't, fully understand but he made me wake up to what was happening in politics um sorry everybody um but he, <laughs> he but i learned a lot and i learned to start paying attention and following journalism and doing my homework and you know so it was interesting and i think that uh dark knight was a statement on it uh, what was happening at the time you know like it was like reagan's in it like mm. there's pictures of reagan and drawn into it Well, you know, I used to think I I was literally thinking about this today (laughs) because I read something else and I was thinking about Dark Knight Returns and how um, how it's wavered from like to from times for me being like, ah, this just feels like some 80s urban blight, like paranoia fantasy to being like, oh, wait, actually, no, like this idea of like the framing device of these two people arguing you know on the news constantly yeah. and just like how, how much of it's just that and it's but like oh actually it's become relevant somehow again right but there's stuff that doesn't age at all like the, the yeah. with their cyclops visors and oh yeah i mean slice and dice and then you know and some of it that's like if you really look at it it's hilarious like batman showing up to fight this guy in a tank you know, <laughs> he, has, he literally yeah. has a tank and he just drives it through Gotham and shows up at their mud pit to you know, <laughs> yeah. kick their ass. He's got a tank, but he jumps out and fights a man. Because yeah. one of his superpowers is that he's fucking. Because he's badass. He's yeah. bad. You bring, a, you bring a tank and you don't use it. You, you bring a get tank. out of it. Yeah. Well, you know, hey. you gotta get there somehow. Ego's a bitch, man. Ego can fuck with you. Make you jump out of your own tank and fight a guy hand to hand. Right. <laughs> I'm going to fight these mutants. I think the part that really broke my heart was one-armed Green Arrow, you know, uh, fighting Superman. What he did with Superman, I thought, was like the really un- undercurrent. Of that was the most mm-hmm. interesting part of that story. Because when I go back and read it again, I'm like, Superman's a more interesting character than Batman in that. And then, and it was, but it's because of how subtle he played that, mm-hmm. you know, like, what do you do? You know, and that's a little bit of where, uh, you know, that that untapped power working for the government, you know. Right. Yeah. For for my brain in 1986, that was pretty amazing. Yeah. Is it is it the uh, the lesser of two evils? I still get to do good, but under the the leash. Right. Sort of. You know. Yeah. And ultimately, you know, and ultimately, Kent's a farm boy. You know, is one of he's going to want to do the right thing. He's gonna right. Yeah. In the American way. So yeah. it, it's a it's 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 sad that things don't age that we we are i think as a culture we are making a mistake by judging things too harshly 
without considering them being a product of their time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the way they handled the Muppet thing was smart. Like they didn't not show them. They didn't they, pull it. Mm-hmm. Hey, look, this hasn't aged well. Mm-hmm. Watch it if you are. If you're cool We've learned. That, here it is. Yeah. yeah. But the people that are like, how dare you say that it didn't age well? Well, it didn't. You know, and there's like, there's racist. <laughs> long before, yeah. long before current days, they were pulling racist Looney Tunes off the air. Like, there's some really shocking Looney Tunes stuff. We're, out we're comic book fans. Right. You, yeah. you you want to, you know, you you strive to be an Eisner nominated, Eisner winning uh creator. Eisner was amazing. Yeah. Some of the spirit comics are really racist. Yeah, but he apologized. <laughs> really racist. But he went back and said it was I never saw him as a bad character, but yeah, mm-hmm. like that character that ran around with him was like total yeah. minstrel show, and that's yeah. not cool. Yeah, I appreciate the heads up from Disney. Yeah, I appreciate the heads up. Let's just be. I mean, we just need to be at a point where we're like we're honest about it. We're having a conversation about this stuff that we because when you pretend it didn't happen, that's worse because then it's primed to happen again. So I can turn to my son and be like, "That's not. Don't repeat this joke." (laughs) it's like said it's already kind of coming at me a little bit with this like said that screenwriter article say like well they really did this thing in the comic that was awful to annie i'm like no that you're you're misinterpreting that and like she didn't she, she i mean it was awful in the sense she was put in an awful terrible. situation yeah absolutely yeah. but but let's what i'm saying is that but in context she makes a terrible choice when she didn't have to. Well, I think that, sometimes like we confuse the idea of putting fictional characters in awful situations right. as the same thing as putting real people in awful situations. Exactly. And, and that's the whole thing. Like they're talking about violence. And I said, if I, you know, if, if you told me that tomorrow nobody would kill anybody ever again and, and the whole world would be nice to each other. If I never drew another exploding brain beaver, character <laughs> i will not draw that anymore but I, unfortunately i don't think you know when my little bit of ink and my you know wasted paper nobody gets hurt it's just an idea and you know if you then they always find a different thing throughout the decades to blame stuff on mm. for society's mm. ills it's never poverty or things that we should actually be no, addressing it's video games war yeah well it was but, but you know what video games was genghis khan playing you know because he was a bastard um, <laughs> he did some pretty horrible. Real, yeah, yeah. I think there was GTA two, but it's like it's funny. You go, but there's like this book, uh, Seduction of the Innocent, written by Frederick Wortham back in the fifties. That you know looked at all the superheroes at the time and said, "Oh, Superman is a Nazi, and Batman, and Robin are homosexual, mm-hmm. and that's bad." You know, according to the book, Wonder Woman's all about bondage, which was right, true. Yeah, well, that's, that's true. Okay. Um, that's true. No, that was based on reality. That's but, true. That one's real. Yeah, that one's real. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. But, uh, but at the same time, you know, ironically, she became this feminist icon. So, um, mm-hmm. no, I just think that it's, it, but that was the 50s. And then they started saying that like horror comics were driving kids to be violent, mm-hmm. you know, and then so they shot EC comics down, yet violence didn't go away. You yeah. know, uh, well, that was, was that was the that was the 60s. It was the hippies and the 70s. It was the punk rockers and the metalheads and, you know, and all that stuff in the 80s, music. video games and punk rock. And yeah. My son 
saw these mutants in a Batman comic wearing visors. Right. And now wow. he's running with the street gang. He's all ripped and walking around shirtless. <laughs> he's ripped. He's he loves the fangs. I have to fight him constantly. <laughs> <laughs> Next dinner time, awkward. Yeah. Show up in my tank. So, <laughs> so anyway, I just, I think that it, I, I, I noticed that the goalposts keep moving because uh, they don't want to confront things that might actually be causing uh, mm-hmm. crime and violence. They want to put it on the easy targets. Like, hey, you're talking, you're, you're doing entertainment with violence in, in it, so it must be your fault. So. Yeah, it's it's a weird time for sure in that in the in that sense, and then things keep changing and evolving. And for the you know, like I said, I think a lot of it is is obviously for the good. The the idea of hey, this is a bad thing, we should examine it. Yeah, well, we're oversaturated with content right now. It's just like we are living in a very uh, you guys that are you know close to my age. You remember there was a time when this stuff had a cap on it. Like <laughs> you wanted to see your TV show, you waited a week. And then you got to see another episode the next week. And when that show went away, you didn't see it again. And then, you know, and same thing with like movies, like a movie, you went, you bought a ticket, you saw the movie and that was it. And you go, wow, it was a great movie. And you didn't think you were ever going to see it again. Now we live in a time where you're like any movie you want, boom, any TV show that you can remember, boom, it's all there. We're living in, in an oversaturation of of riches in that we can go to any time you go to YouTube, you can find anything that weird thing you kind of remember you'll find it on yeah. you i we, literally we, we, remember yeah. watching this uh, short cartoon called i like to read while i'm driving and for years i couldn't and it has a little song in it it's kind of weird psychedelic animation and there's a guy like he gets he likes to literally just like it says i like to read while i'm driving and it got <laughs> stuck in my head and i always thought it was really funny because he keeps getting in accidents i found that cartoon it was like made in like 79 <laughs> but it's out there. I mean, any weird thing you can kind of remember. Oh, I'm finding Sal's puppet movie later on tonight, man. I got it. You got to send me a link. It's <laughs> called, oh, I can tell you what it's called. I did find it. Uh, it's called. I got to see the puppet strip club. <laughs> it's the Happy Time Murders. Happy see? Time Murders. It's with oh, yeah, Melissa McCarthy. That's recent. That's with Melissa McCarthy. Yeah, I started to watch that. It made me laugh because like, I didn't get that far into it. But Sex Puppets, I, yeah. I called it. <laughs> you said that was just something I threw on a calendar in the issue one, and then Warren's like, "What's that about?" So <laughs> it became Spider's favorite show. So. <laughs> oh man, those books are so great because you can just go through. Like I said, we did the first volume as, as sort of a book of the month, and and just rereading again. It had been a long time since I had read it again, so you know, after so many years, you sort of have a different perspective on things. And it was just all the little details, all the little things you guys threw in there, the world building and just the, the crazy, wacky stuff that that the the world that Spider was dealing with and that he hated. And like I said, I mean, so much of it now is just sort of like, you know, oh, that's kind of that's kind of where we're at. <laughs> I've seen that. That's not that unfamiliar. Yeah. And it's a little terrifying in some ways. A little but... terrifying. We haven't got the holographic TV screens yet either. So no. but we have 3D printers. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And it's and it's coming. Yeah. Hunter S. Thompson and, and George Carlin are are two people that I'm equally glad that uh that they don't have to see this and yeah. disappointed that we don't get to um sure. get their reactions. I would I'd add Bill Hicks to that list. Oh yeah. sure. Well now you're talking love- Sal's language. <laughs> I'd love to hear why Bill Hicks sounds contemporary now, and that's amazing because he was in the nineties. 
Absolutely. I think, yeah. yeah, those guys, those guys checked out probably at the right time. I don't know if their brains could have handled what, you know, the, the yeah. site or dealing Carl with would have lost it. He would have lost yeah. it. His, his words hold true. Yeah. I mean, could you, could you imagine Hicks? I can't even imagine the idea of like people telling him that he, there's things he cannot say on stage. Yeah. He would just say everything. I mean, it would be, it would be, he would get, he would get crucified, but my God, he would, he would. Lenny Bruce all over again. Yeah. Yeah. You the got more it. things change. <laughs> that's why well, you end up doing, that's how come you can do a comic book about the future in the nineties and then have it seem fresh. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, so. it's doing well. That's, that's the good thing. It's uh thank congr- you. congratulations <laughs> on all the success really. Cause uh, oh, it, thank you. I, phenomenal. I hope all you right. like my, I hope you like my Batman story. Like I can't wait. have to do all this just so I can get back into mainstream comics. <laughs> <laughs> I just had to have a number one TV show on a streaming service. Yeah, it helps, yeah. I guess. I don't know. Actually, <laughs> right. it, I, I, I just, I went off and did it. Like you were saying earlier, like it looked like I wasn't putting a lot out. I actually did a lot of work that didn't see the light of day for a long time. Space Bastards, mm-hmm. for example, I did the whole thing and finished it in 2019. It's just coming out now. So, and then yeah. I did a few projects that were supposed to go somewhere and kind of fell apart. I did a run on the uh, uh, Renegade or uh, Harbinger Renegade, so that Valiant that no one seems to remember, but that was a monthly book for me for a while. But yeah, it, it's interesting. Sort of like, how- I was just sort of like in and out of the, but I was always trying to work on original stuff, and it yeah. just you know, I, right now I'm after Hellblazer, I'm sort of happy just doing mainstream stuff for a little while. So I got a lot of uh, fun gigs. I can't elaborate too much on, but I got the rest of my years looking like I'm going to be pretty busy at DC. Yeah, it, it's interesting, you know, we'll see some creators that just kind of, you know, just kind of go away for a while. And and more and more, it seems like, you know, the the secret projects that, you know, while I was working on something for a year that I couldn't talk yeah. about, uh, we, we would talk to like, Gabriel Hardman. No, and, and we'd be like, yeah, Gabriel, what are you working on? He's like, I spent the last nine months storyboarding Inception with Christopher Nolan. So yeah, that's why mean, that's why I'm not doing, you know, Agents yeah. of Atlas or whatever. So, you, you know, uh, can you do a you maybe pitch a you and and Garth doing a nice long Lobo, yeah, black, black label Lobo story maybe? Uh, I might do a, I might I'd like to do some more black label stuff. I don't I don't know if that's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, we need we need to let this this man go. I think we're Thank probably uh, audio wise we'll split this into into two episodes because we're we're, we're <laughs> creepy. I told Derek today, it's like, yeah, we're usually about an hour. So yeah, uh, I, had, I know. I, I remember from last time we ran over too, but it's, I like talking <laughs> to you guys. So it's like, there's a uh, people that know when we have this stuff in common, it's like, there's a lot to talk about. So. Yeah. We, we've had that effect before on people. Like <laughs> we, we, we go, oh, it'll be a 45 minutes and three hours later. It's um, yeah. yeah. We, we, had, we yeah, love we it. We had a two, two and a half, two and a half hour, 30 minute conversation with John Byrne. Uh, oh years ago which was yeah that was that was a kick um so yeah sometimes we go over but but sir thank you you please know that you are welcome back anytime to uh, to chat with us it's well, it's been like fantastic story have me back on when you finished reading all six uh, you know the, the last one and let that me sounds know good. sounds like a plan <laughs> sounds like the plan absolutely all right. i'll all be right, able to some stuff then probably very good. Well, um, sir, thank you. We won't bore you with all of our end of episode um, um, pitching and all that. So we'll just say goodbye and see you soon. Yeah. Thanks, guys. It was great talking to you. 
Thank right. you. Thank you. Thanks, Bye, Derek. Everybody. All right. That was awesome. All right. That was Great Derek Robertson. Yeah, check out Derek Robertson. I had, so I had so much more, but it was like, you were almost at two hours. And it's just like, God, this guy's been in the industry and done some really, I didn't even get to talk, talk about uh, the, the, the uh, Punisher book he did with, oh, yeah. Dennis, you know, born, uh, which is one of my favorite Punisher stories. And yeah, he, he's awesome, but we'll have I him back. I didn't talk much about the, the Greg Rucka Wolverine series. So yeah, right. tell me about Greg Rucka. <laughs> what was it like <laughs> to work with? Yeah. But I mean, just awesome. Nice guy, you know, as you would, you know, expect it's yeah. Great talking to him. So uh, uh, remember April, I believe it's April 2nd digital release on Legends of the Dark Knight. And then I think in May, like late May, uh, they'll start releasing the uh, the single issue comics at your, your local comic shop. And uh, it's a total of 60 pages. Yeah, 60 pages. Uh, so three issues of that will be will be Derek. Nice. And the boys season three is filming. The boys season three is filming and space space beaver uh was collected in two thousand like two thousand, so it might be available out there and huge I think two go find find space uh AIT Planet War collected. Um and as always don't forget that uh we have a Patreon page. Our Patreon page is at patreon.com slash aroundcomics where you can get all sorts of bonus material, bonus episodes, 30 minutes with interviews by Chris, Tom versus the Freedom Fighters with Tom, Future Stacks for me, ACTV. We're now doing The Falcon and The Winter Soldier. After uh, Hours. After Hours. Episode <laughs> one just, just came out. So please, if you'd like to get more content from us, bonus episodes, sign up. It's only five bucks a month. Uh, unless you want more stuff, there's like stickers and, or you just want to give us more money. We're, we're not going to, we're not opposed to that. Uh, how much do you want from us? About just five <laughs> bucks. Uh, we did have another patron sign up this week. So thank you very much to Andrew, Andrew Nikovich. Thank you, Andrew, for becoming you, a Andrew. Patron. Really appreciate your support for the show. And, uh, yeah, so go, go to Patreon and, and, uh, and get more, get more of us. Yeah. There's just more. And if you'd like to get more. stuff, uh, official Around Comics merchandise, like this T-shirt that I'm wearing, which I have to say is pretty nice. That is pretty dope. I just got it in. You can get that at aroundcomics.com slash shop. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, there might actually be a sale going on right now. So go check it out, aroundcomics.com slash shop. And Every other get- Thursday, you can uh, see uh, Sal and I uh, uh, transform into into elves. <laughs> And, well, uh, as well, not literally. Uh, that's the AC D and D. That's our uh, that's our D and D group. So that's been been a hoot. I think we uh, we rolled for initiative twice. Last Come time. on, man! It's role playing, role playing. It's not. I want to shoot I, things. Not, well, you shot a zombie or a skeleton, and you I shot a skeleton. Yes. Yeah, you shot a skeleton. What are you crying about? Come on. What happened when you hit? What happened when you shot the skeleton? Uh, I killed it again. I was gonna say, I mean, skeleton. I don't know if shot it with a gun or uh, with a a uh, a hand bow, a hand crossbow. Oh, that yes. makes sense. Those were yeah. those were gun skeletons. Those yeah. were. I was gonna say, gun versus skeleton. It just seems like yeah, a lot of empty spaces to go. What's gonna happen? <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's There's true. no telling. There's no telling. 
All right. Yeah. So there's all that fun stuff. Um, please contact the show info around comics.com or hit us up on any of the social media. Um, yeah, I think that's, I think that's it. You'll buy Derek Robertson comics, watch the boys. Um, you know, yeah. Peace in the Middle East, all that good stuff. Peace in the middle. Wow. Okay. Yep. <laughs> yeah. We're, uh, we're really reaching for it. All right. You donate $25. We'll, we'll <laughs> $25 a month. We'll work on peace in the middle. East. Yeah. No guarantee. I mean, but we'll work on it. Let's see what we can do. Yeah. Uh, this is our, our Thursday night live, uh, video cast, which gets archived and then released Tuesday. as an audio show on Tuesdays. There goes my camera. Um, yeah, that's all I got, man. We good. I think yeah, I think we're good. That was that was almost two hours. I think we yeah. we're done for the evening. All right. Cool. In right, the meantime, guys. we'll be everywhere in and around, around. comics. <laughs>